Good morning, Mission View. I have a quick exercise that I'd like to start with this morning. I want you to look around the sanctuary. I love calling this place a sanctuary. Some of you went to high school here. That sounds weird. But look around the sanctuary. I want you to find some people that you have a connection with. Somebody that you're connected with. You have a relationship with. All right, you see them? Maybe one or two people. What, what, what's, what's your relationship with these, with these people that you see? Would you consider yourself unified with that person? Maybe of the same mind, the same thought? And if so, why? All right, go ahead and have a seat. Now, generally, I'm going to say that you probably had one of two thoughts. Um, either you have some sort of relational connection with that person, uh, meaning that you are close to that person because of similar likes or sports or food or politics or maybe your profession, and, and therefore you can relate to these people. Um, people that have been there for you maybe when you needed something, needed your yard mulched, and they came and they, they helped you out. Or, or secondly, uh, you may have seen people that you have a spiritual connection with. You observe people that have the same love for the same God that you do. Um, they've been redeemed by the same blood that redeemed you, and you have that connection. So for me, I, I looked around the room, I see like a Randy Smith, and uh, Randy actually kind of fits in both buckets for me, but we have a, a, a similar career. We, we work in a similar field. Um, he's, he's the father of daughters, which I need a lot of help with. And, and so we have that connection. Or maybe a, a, a Doug Trotter, um, who anytime I have a project around the house or need something done, uh, he's there in a flash to help me out. Um, secondly, I, I think of somebody like a, like a Bob Buchanan, who I was hoping would be sitting right there, but he's not this morning. Um, Bob, Bob and I have nothing in common, really, right? Bob can fix anything. I can't fix a thing, okay? I put a tool in my hand, and I, I don't know what to do with it. Bob, totally different. But I've gotten to know Bob, and, and I am just in awe of his respect for God's word and his love for the Lord and, and the impact that, that God has had on his life. Um, I think of a, a, a Mike Young, who happens to be here today. Um, Mike and I don't know each other really well. We're getting to know each other a lot better. Um, again, Mike likes beetles and pulling tractors out of the mud in his backyard with a big truck. Okay, I, I don't have a big truck. Um, I'd like to think of myself as a manly man, but I'm, I'm not a real manly man. But I've gotten to know Mike, and I can tell you, man, that guy's heart is pure. He, he wants to serve the Lord. He wants to be the husband that God wants him to be, and he wants to be the father that God wants him to be. And so I, I have that connection with Mike. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at Philippians 2, and uh, Paul's going to tell us this morning that, that unity in the church is really born out of those spiritual connections, um, and, and, and that those spiritual connections only work when we come into those relationships with a sense of personal humility. So as you're turning to, to Philippians 2, uh, let's, let's open in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... Uh, that we would really be lost without it, that, 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 is you, that, that it is your word given to us so that we might know how to live. And, and as we open this passage this morning that's just so very practical, Father, I, I pray that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't gloss over uh, the simpleness of it, um, but that you would use it to change our lives. Lord, convict us where we might be off and uh, that we, we would walk out of here uh, changed and, and correcting our path, Father. So illuminate your word as we open it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's look at Philippians 2. We're going to look at just the first four verses. So Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, 
any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. So really practical passage this morning. It's got a real simple outline, so take a look at, at it with me. We're going to first look at the motives that Paul gives us for unity, which is, which is the why. why. Why do we need to be united? Number two, the marks of unity, which is the what. What is unity? What does that mean? And number three, the means for unity, so the how. Very practical passage this morning. Um, as, we, as we start, the ESV starts the passage with so. Um, this is the, one, the only thing I'm disappointed in the ESV for, for doing because older versions always started with a therefore. And I love that because I'd always learned that when you come to a therefore in passage, you need to stop and ask what it's there for. And so uh, what Paul is doing here is actually referring to what Steve presented to us last week. Um, and he had really laid out a whole chapter about being worthy of the gospel and living for the gospel. So if you flip back a couple of verses to me, look at verse 27. Um, and Paul is really setting up these four verses that we're going to look at today. And he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's really what Steve was telling us about really over the last four weeks or three weeks. And uh, so only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are, and here's what we're going to talk about today, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so now Paul's going to lay out exactly for us how to do that. How do we, how do we stand firm in one spirit with, with one mind? Um, secondly, there, the, the passage goes on and says, if. Now, um, this is an interesting literary device in, in the Greek, but, but basically th there are conditional sentences in the Greek. And I'm, I'm looking to Emily to, to nod at me here because she's my Greek scholar. And, but basically, the, the way that the Greek sentence is structured, it could mean if this is true and it isn't, and that would be implied by the sentence structure, or if this is true and it might be, this one's actually a first-class conditional, which basically means if this, is, if this condition is true and it is true, then. And so really, this, this if, or in this case, if there, could be translated since or because. And so if we look at this again, we want to say, I'm going to flip back one. Um, we want to say, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love, since there is participation in the Spirit, and since there is affection and sympathy. Um, so these are, these are true statements or rhetorical questions, if you will, that Paul is bringing to us. So let's take a look first at the motives for unity. Paul's going to give us five of them. The first two are connected, related to Christ. The second two connected, related to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then the, the, the fifth one really is a, a pastoral plea or, or something from Paul's heart. So the first one says, uh, encouragement in Christ. If there's any encouragement in Christ, the Greek word here is paraklesis. It's the same word that God used for the Holy Spirit. It means encouragement or help or exhortation. Um, so basically because Christ has come alongside of you, he's encouraged you, he's exhorted you and helped you. In other words, because of the, the work of Christ in our lives, we should be motivated by this plea that Paul is giving us. Number two, comfort from love. Paul uses the word agape here. This is that unconditional love, the highest form of love that is always seeking only the benefit of the object love. Perfectly exemplified to us by Christ's death on the cross, right? Completely sacrificial death on the cross for our benefit. 
if we received and have comfort from that love that God has given to us, that, that comfort, um, then we should be motivated. And uh, I, I love this. Look, turn with me to, to John 17, because this is, these are Paul's writings, but I, I want to hear from the word or the mouth of the Lord himself. And turn with me to John 17. This is a great, great passage. It's a, it's a really long prayer um, that Christ offers to the Father. So his earthly ministry is, is, is just about up. Um, he comes before the Father and just pours his heart out petitioning, praying to God the Father. We're going to look at a, the whole chapter is this prayer, but we're going to look at a couple, a couple of uh, sections. So we're going to look at 6 through 11, and then we're going to jump down to 20. But I want, to, I want you to hear Christ, from Christ's own words, his heart for unity in the church. So beginning in 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are, your, they are yours. All, are mine, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And here it is. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they might be one even as we are one. God, Christ here is saying, hey, God, just as you and I are one, I want my church to be that united. And then bounce down with me to verse 20. I do not ask for these only, talking about those who were there with him as disciples, those Christians that were uh, with him at that time. He says, I'm not praying for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's, that's us 2,000 years later. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me, even as you loved me, and love them even as you love me. So Christ here, petitioning to the Father in heaven for the unity of his church, that, that's his will for the, this church, for the church universal. And Paul's saying here, because you've received encouragement from Christ, because you found comfort in his love, how can we not give back to him that which he desires and is precious to his heart, being the unity of his church? So this is a, a quick, far-reaching spiritual principle. It's not going to be profound. Um, but the question here really is, is one of obedience. So we need to realize that this is Christ's heart. This is something that he has asked from us. And I know we, we think of sin sometimes as these really large things, these big things, like hating our neighbor, um, adultery, that these really big things, right? But really the principle here is it's, it's doing anything separate from what God has laid out in his word for us, his desires for our life. So something as simple as unity, our inability to be unified with the body of Christ it, is a sin. And, and, and it's not a sin against a moral code or some church doctrine or, or something that the elders have laid out for this body. It's a, it's a sin against our relationship with our Christ, with our, with our God. And I, I just want to make sure that we, we appreciate that. It's a very simple principle, but even for something as simple as unity in the church, well, sometimes we think, well, I just don't like people. I don't need to be unified. I can just come on Sunday morning and it's okay that I'm not getting along with half the people in the sanctuary this morning. It, it's not. Christ asks us, asks us to be unified. All right, so third point in, the, uh, in Paul's outline here for the motives, um, 
participation in the Spirit. The Greek word koinonia is often translated fellowship. And uh, so this verse reads, so, so because there is fellowship with the Spirit, because we have fellowship with the Spirit, because of the Spirit who God gave us, who communes with us, and because of, of what he's done in our lives, regeneration, sanctification, gifting, sealing, enabling, interceding, because of all these things that the, the Spirit does for us, we should be motivated to unity. Ephesians 4.3, um, there's a great parallel verse, but because Steve told me that I now have the record for the longest sermon, uh, last time I preached, I decided to cut this piece out. But look at it when you have time. Ephesians 4.3, uh, it's a great parallel passage, a lot of the same themes. But in that, in that passage, uh, Paul actually calls this unity the unity of the Spirit. And uh, so because of what the Spirit has done for us, we should be motivated to unity. And then just like uh, in the first two verses where he, he gave a little bit of color to Christ, he's then going to say any affection and sympathy. He's referring to the Spirit. And think of the affection of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'll give you a quick analogy. Have, have you ever had a friend in your life um, that is just a prayer warrior for you? When, when something's going wrong, um, you know that they are on their knees just praying for you. They are that encouragement. Um, have you ever felt that? Do you have that relationship? Do you realize that the Holy Spirit is doing that for us every day? Right? It, Romans 8.28 says that the, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. He has a, a great affection for us and our relationship with the Father. And, and, and in those moments where we are just distraught and out of it, and can't even find the words, we find comfort in knowing that the Holy Spirit of God is interceding for us, right? We have that, he has that affection for us because of that affection. And sympathy, the word here actually means tender mercies. So when you're in that bad place, and, and you know because Scripture tells us, not because of what you're feeling, because Scripture tells us that the Spirit is interceding for you with the Father, what does God do in response to that? He provides his tender mercies. It's in response to that spiritual relationship, that connection that we have to him through the Holy Spirit. So because of affection and sympathy. So we should be motivated not only by what Christ has done, but by what the Spirit is doing. And then Paul adds a fifth one here and basically says, hey, do it for me too. Complete my joy. He's basically asking, now, Paul was the, the planter. He planted the Philippian church. He has a, a great passion and love for these, these folks. And I love, I love the book of Philippians because unlike most of other, actually, I think almost all of Paul's other writings, he, he's not really coming at the Philippian church to change their doctrine and, and, and change something that's doctrinally wrong at the church. Really, the church is, is really healthy, and, uh, and Paul is really encouraged by this, this, this church. The whole book of Philippians is, is about Paul's joy. Um, this church brings him a lot of joy, but the one thing he has seen in that church was a lack of unity, and that's troubling Paul, and he's, he's feeling that on his heart. And so, this is a pastoral plea as well. Paul says, complete my joy, um, be unified. And I, and I can tell you as elders, that that's really our prayer for this church too. We want, we want this body to be unified. How much more effective are we when we are unified? And we'll get into that in a bit as well. So if indeed we find inspiration uh, from these motives to be unified, the, the, the next question is, well, what exactly is unity? What does that look like? And Paul's going to lay that out for us here, uh, beginning in verse 2. So we'll, we'll look now at the marks of unity. This is the what. what. What does unity look like? 
So uh, verse 2, um, starting in the, the second part of it, says, By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. So there's, there's four things here. They're, they're very tightly connected. So I'm going to try not to be repetitive, but there's a very common theme here. And uh, it's really set up nicely for us in this first one. It says, being of the same mind. Um, it's the Greek word phroneo. I, I, I love this word, and, and this is where I'm, I'm, I'm trying to teach you how I like to study the Bible. So I look at this, and I'm like, God, what, what do you mean by that? Being of the same mind. What, what does that mean? And, I, and I've said before, I know Adam said before, that sometimes the, um, the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture, right? So what I like to do is I, I take this word, and I like to look at it and say, well, where else is Paul using this word? What else is he talking about when he, when he uses this word? And so the first thing I found was, was 1 Corinthians uh, 1.10. We're going to look at four verses here, so we're going to do a little... Bible hopping. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul of the Corinthian church says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree. I don't know how that would be possible. All, he wants us to all agree and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be, and here's the same word, united in the same spirit and the same judgment. So Paul is saying really the same thing here. We're to think the same way. Unity of thought. Now, I want to be careful here. Paul's not talking about uniformity. He's not talking about a bunch of cookie-cutter Christians. But first pastor I always sat under said, you got to have the Christian haircut, right? He doesn't want us all to have the Christian haircut, dress the same, come in here looking the same. That, that would be really inconsistent with Paul's use of the human body, right, for an analogy of the church. I love, I love that analogy. It's so simple, yet so profound. Um, so, so think about all the parts of a body. Um, we're not all right hands, right? A body of all right hands would look kind of funny, right? He's saying, I want the body to be unified, not looking the same, not even necessarily having the same function, right? But to be united in purpose. Um, I've got an aunt, one of my favorite people in the world, who at 13 years old uh, broke her neck on a trampoline. And she is a quadriplegic now. So for the last 40 years of her life, she has been a quadriplegic. Well, what's happened in her body? All of her body parts are not working. They're not of the same mind. They're not working toward the same goal, right? Um, now, I'm incredibly encouraged by her. She's used her life, and she's, my wife is daily encouraged by her because she's on Facebook every morning with an encouraging verse from Scripture, and she's been an incredible encouragement. But her body is not working for the purpose that it was intended, right? It's not working together. That's the same idea here. We want to be of the same mind, working together. But how is that even possible? Um, we're going to look at three verses in, in Romans that talk a little bit about how we can be of the same mind. Uh, we're going to start in uh, chapter 8, verse 4. So just following the great there is no condemnation verse, uh, verse 4b. Um, He's setting up this contrast between the spirit and the flesh. He says, who walk, who, walk, who, who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, set their mind, there's our same word, set their mind on the things of flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds, again, same word, on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So really, we, we, we've got two possibilities here. We can set our minds on the flesh, which is death, or we can set our mind on the spirit, which provides life and peace. I think of peace as being a key attribute or, or necessary requirement for unity. Um, when there's disunity, think about it this way. 
one or, or nobody, really, has their mind on the spirit, maybe thinking of spiritually, spiritual things. Somebody else in that relationship has their mind in the flesh, and there's going to be natural conflict there. Here Paul is saying we should have the mind or the spirit, and as we develop this, think about the Trinity as we think about this. Is there any disunity in the Trinity? There's not. It's complete, complete unity. He wants our, our thought, our minds to be united here with the spirit. Let's look at the next one. Uh, bump to verse, sorry, Romans 12. We're going to be in verse 3. God says we're, we're, we're to think with sound, divine judgment allotted by God. So verse 3, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think, same word, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we have not only what, what Paul's saying here, um, He's saying we need to think objectively, not subjectively with our own mind, but objectively with the mind of God. Subjectivity leading to spirit or, or, or selfishness, sorry, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but objectively with the judgments of God. So we're to think with the spirit, we're to think with the judgments of God, and then thirdly look at chapter 15. Now we're going to introduce Christ to the mixed. Verse 5, Romans 15, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, now the ESV, to live in such harmony. That's actually our same word, to live, to, to, to be of the same mind, to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with who? With Jesus Christ. Steve, I don't know how you do this without getting completely dehydrated. So as we walk through these verses in Romans, it's a different Romans road, if you will, we're instructed to think of the things of the Spirit, with the judgments of God, and now to think of the things of Christ. So it's, it's pretty simple, really. Not, not easy to do always, but simple. So be of the same mind. Number two, Paul goes on to say, having the same love. So as we look at the marks of unity, be of the same mind. Having the same love, and again, he uses this word agape, but now it's an instruction to us. We're supposed to have that same love, that same selfless, selfless, sacrificial love for each other that God has shown to us. It's a tall order, and literally it means that we're to love everyone the same. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's hard to do, right? That's not something I'm going to do in my flesh. I can't look around this room around my relationships outside of this church and say, I am naturally going to love everybody exactly the same, right? People are different. People sometimes say something that get, get under, my, under my flesh or under your flesh, right? That's not something that we're going to do easily in our, in ourself. But if we have the mind of Christ, right, if we're focusing on the things of the Spirit, if we're using the judgments of God, this should be easier for us. God will enable us to do that through His Spirit, having the same love. Number three, he says, being of full accord. Now, interesting word. It's only used once in the Greek, but it, it literally means one-souled. The NSB uh, renders it united in spirit. So again, I, I said these were going to say very similar things as we went through here. And then he ends up, uh, number four, he says, being of the same mind. He actually uses the same word that he started with. Uh, but when he started, he said, first, I want you to be of one mind. And now literally he's saying, I want you to be minding one thing. Uh, the NASB uh, renders this. He wants you to be intent on one purpose. I, I like that a lot. 
as a church, I know as elders, we try to set the direction. We want us to be intent on one purpose. We talk about our mission and our vision a lot. Steve covered most of that last week. Our goal is, again, not that we are uniform, not uniformity, but that we are all united and intent on one purpose, that so we're, we're aiming for the same goal. And ultimately, that's, that's the glorification of Jesus Christ. So let me, um, let me give you one last illustration to kind of pull this together. So, so, so what, is, what is unity? I want you to think of two things. Think of a, a bag of marbles. I know I'm, I'm getting dated here. I don't think kids play with marbles anymore, but I think it, it's your dollar store or whatever, you can get that mesh bag of marbles. So picture that I'm holding this mesh bag of marbles. Those, those marbles in that bag are united, right? They're all together. But what are they united by? They're united by this external force, this bag. Um, I want you to think of that as culture, maybe a, a moral creed, peer pressure, something in the outside world can, can force us into unity, really maybe uniformity. Contrast that with, with a magnet that I dip down into maybe a, a set of metal bearings and, and I lift up. Same things. Those bearings are all together and unified, right? All pushed together, scrunched together, unified. But now what, what's the difference? They're, they're unified by an internal force. That, that to me really is the picture of, of a united church. Not, not something on the external that's forcing us into, whether that be a moral, co moral code or tradition, but something on internally, and, and, and that being the Holy Spirit within the lives of each believer in a body, right? We're, we're being pulled together, unified by that common spirit that we have in Jesus Christ. So those are the motives and the marks. Uh, let's look now at the means. So this is the how. This is, this is really where the, the rubber meets the road. This gets to be really practical. And, and these two verses, verses 3 and 4 in Philippians, are incredibly incredibly simple. There's not much I'm going to do this morning that unpacks some great spiritual truth here for you because it really just says it. And, and sometimes scripture is like that, right? It just, all we got to do is, is do what it says. Um, and, and I love these verses. If, if I were to pick a life verse, I think, from, for myself, it would be this one. In fact, what actually got me into preaching this morning was last November at our elders retreat. Um, during our quiet times, each of the elders share something. And this was a passage that I, I shared from and I guess I was passionate enough about it that, that Steve put me up here in front of you this morning. So th this, vast, this passage has been really an encouragement to me, um, partially because I believe I've, I've married the most humble, selfless person in the world. And uh, she models this verse, these verses for me in our marriage with our kids in foster care um, so often. And it's something that I actually have to work for and I aspire to. Um, and so these verses are special to me because of that as well. So we're going to be in, in uh, verse 3 now. So the means for unity, the how. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. And that's going to be the, the core of this. That's the core. That's why we titled this personal humility. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul says, here's how you're going to do it. First of all, he gives us two negative commands. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Greek word erethia here, it actually means self-seeking, strife, factions. Um, again, another verse I'd go into if Steve gave me more time would be Galatians 5, all right? Galatians 5.20, this, this word, same word, is actually rendered rivalry, and it's listed in a really long list of sins of the flesh, really. Um, 
See, if we're, if we're in our flesh, this, this makes sense, right? A lot of this comes naturally to you, not to my wife, but to me. I, I, t- I tend to be selfish. I can be selfish. I can be tired at the end of a day and want to just sit on the couch, right? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're selfish beings, right? We're naturally selfish. We look out for self. When we're, when we're tired, we want to make sure we get rest. When we're hungry, we want to make sure that we're fed. We get hangry. I have a daughter that way. Um, so, but once again, if we're, if we're thinking with the mind of Christ and if we're really focused, yeah, it's this one. She's here this morning. Um, if we're thinking this, this morning with the mind of Christ, um, it's going to be a lot easier to, to combat this. But, but what, outside, outside of these walls, even when we are our best, um, the world is just a selfish place driven by selfish ambition. We, we walk into it. We work in the midst of it every day. The world says, look out for yourself, right? Step on whoever you need to to get ahead. Um, I found it interesting uh, in, in doing a word study on this one that Aristotle actually used this word in earlier writings, um, but he used it, and get this, to describe the self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. It's basically that ugly self-promotion that pushes oneself up by stepping on the neck of another. If that doesn't sound like politics today, I don't know what does. And we wonder sometimes why uh, good Christians can't succeed in politics. But uh, So selfish ambition, it's, it's an idea of promoting oneself for, for, for a goal and, and usually connected to some larger enterprise. And then he, he brings it a little bit more personal now and he says, number two, and the do nothing still connected to this, do nothing from c- conceit. The word here literally means vain glory. Um, that I may be glorified, that everybody might see me in the limelight, that they may give me accolades. I want to be glorified. So where, again, a selfish ambition, is, it, it ties a person to some larger enterprise or a goal. Paul here is warning against seeking personal glory for trying to elevate self over others. And he's going to get right into it. And uh, Paul's saying, have none of it. Selfish ambition, conceit. Not do it when it makes sense. Do it when you need that promotion at work. Do it when you're really upset with that person next door to you. He says, none of it. Do, have nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And here's the great contrast. He says, but in humility. This is the corrective instruction for those two negative commands, right? Don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. Be humble. So I searched this week for a great definition of humility. Um, this is going to be a little funny. Internet was plastered with this C.S. Lewis quote. And the quote says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking, le- or, but it's thinking of yourself less. Man, I totally butchered that. I'm going to say it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Okay, but here's the funny thing. C.S. Lewis didn't say that. So, in case you hadn't known, don't believe everything you read on the internet, okay? Um, <laughs> The only place I could find that actually was, was a Rick Warren book in The Purpose Driven Life. So it's a great quote in and of itself, but it, it's funny. It led me to, to open up Mere Christianity, which is where C.S. Lewis was attributed to, to saying this. Um, and I found out that what C.S. Lewis does say in Mere Christianity is actually almost as impressive, if not more, than what he supposedly said in Mere Christianity. So uh, now hopefully some of you are, are, are C.S. Lewis fans. Um, if you're not, if you haven't read a lot of C.S. Lewis, know that he was a guy that lived in England a long time ago, and he wrote with really funny old English, okay? So this is the original, it's a, it's a, it's a passage out of mere Christianity, um, but I, I love this passage. Um, and he, he's, he's describing humility. What, is, what does humility look like? 
Uh, I think it'll be up there for you. It says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarry person. I had to look that up. It basically means like false humility. Who is always telling you that. Of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you had and what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud, and a biggish step too. At least nothing whatsoever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, that means you are very conceited indeed. And that's that really ironic thing about humility, right? Once you realize you're humble, you've lost it. Dang it. I was so humble a second ago until I realized I was humble. Um, It's hard to find, right? Um, And I love it because Paul's going to go right into, hey, I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to show you what that looks like. Okay, um, but first, let me, let me show you this real quick. I found verse, uh, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. We've, we've got great motivation to seek after humility, to be humble. Uh, 1 Peter 5.5 uh, 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have God's grace than his opposition. So the key to unity in in a grace-filled Christian life is humility. Sorry, did I say that right? The key to unity and the grace-filled Christian life is humility. Not selfishness, not conceit, but humility. But how does humility act? Well, Paul's going to help us out. We're going to roll right into it. He says, count others more significant than yourselves. So consider others to be more important than you. What does that look like? It means elevating their needs, their concerns above your own. That, that is humility and love in action. Now, now practically, how, how do we do that, right? We've been told since we were in junior high that we're awesome and we get a trophy for mediocrity and we can do anything we want in life, right? How, how, do, we, how do we look around and say, wait, I, I'm... I'm, everybody's been telling me I'm the most awesome person in the world. How do I look at somebody else and say, hey, you're more awesome than I am? And I'm going to steal this from John MacArthur. It's, it's kind of practical. I really, I really liked it. But, but think about it this way. Do you really know the heart of another person? Do you know their true intentions, their motives? I know sometimes, uh, you know, a wife may say to her husband, I, I know what you're thinking. And when she's wrong, it's really frustrating, right? Actually, it's more frustrating when she's right, but it can be really frustrating, right? Um, but she doesn't really know what I'm thinking. She doesn't know my heart. It's really hard to judge the intentions or the, the motives of another person. So objectively, who is the person that you know sins the most? I'm talking on the level of firsthand knowledge. Who is the person that you know sins the most? It's going to be ourselves, right? It's always ourselves. So if we look at ourselves... In that light, how can we not put somebody else above that? We're the biggest sinner we know. That's why Paul, 1 Timothy 15, says what? He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, 
that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am what? He said, I'm chief. I'm the biggest sinner I know. Paul, right? If any of us were to say, hey, all the Christians we've known or read about in life, who would be one of the greatest Christians you could list? It would be Paul. That's not what Paul thought of himself because he knew his heart. He knew his own heart. So if we can set aside conceit and be honest with ourselves, it shouldn't be hard for us to look at another and elevate them to a more significant place in ourselves. And then lastly, Paul takes two parts here. It says, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, note that Paul doesn't say, don't look out for your interests, right? He's not, he's not asking you to go away to some monastery and flog yourself and um, get away from everybody. He's, he's saying, take care of yourself. You got to look out for your own interests. And then the implication here is you, you got to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others, right? Look out for, not only for your own interests, but take care of yourself so that you can look out for the interests of others. And again, I've only I've already praised my wife, but uh, she's really modeled that for me in, in our lives. And uh, a great example, how, how do you completely put yourself aside? We have five daughters, okay, five daughters. Two of them are, well, we have teenagers and toddlers, all right? So pat her on the back when we get out of here today. Um, and, and never, when I get home from work, well, maybe once or twice, never when I get home from work does she say, hey, your turn. I need a break. I need to take care of me. Um, it's just a great model for me. Um, you know, if, if, if I were then going to pick a couple of things that I think are destroying our culture today, I think among the top five would be our failure to be concerned about the interests and pursuits of others. Um, I got a, I've got a great friend who is doing something great in business. And there have been seasons in life when I've engaged and been helping him and then been too busy to help him. And uh, it's a company called Wild Goose Coffee. And uh, it's a friend of mine that I've known for probably 20 years. And he left his job teaching, great entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, buzzword, wild coffee. That's the key for the worship band to come up. Um, <laughs> he... Uh, left his job and, and wanted to pursue an, earth, an earthly, a, a, a selfless ministry, but to do that through commerce. And he actually started a coffee company. It was a hobby of his. Um, and again, me being like the perfect capitalist out of business school, um, he decided that he was going to, for every pound of coffee he sold, he was going to donate 10 pounds of food to a local food bank. I thought that was crazy. Why would you ever give up your profits to do that? But he had a heart for what God was, was calling him to do. And I, I've been able to come alongside him and help him set up his financial statements and his books and, and help him get involved in that business, know what it means to run a business. And I can tell you, for me personally, those times when I've been with him and engaged in that, it's been such a blessing to me. And then there's been those times when I get so wrapped up in my own self, I get real busy at work. I said, I've got five daughters. Um, life can get so busy. And I come away from that. And, and his business starts to struggle or he's got questions that are unanswered, it's actually more painful to me than when I've been engaged in those things. And I, I, the point here is sometimes either because of apathy or because of busyness, we fail to really engage in the interests of others and we fail to look out for others. And uh, I, I think so often, you, you, know, you don't know what to do when you're so busy in your life that you fall into a routine, but there are people around you, especially in this body, who are doing some awesome things for Christ. They're doing some great things for Christ. And you know what? They would love some help. They would love some help. 
Um, so let's not look out for only our own interests, but the interests of others. The application today is really simple. Mission View Church, do you want this ministry here to be effective? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for your own interests, but the interests of others. Do you want to revolutionize your marriage? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count your spouse more significant than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of your spouse. How about a, with your children or at work? Do not do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count your child, your employees, your coworkers more significant than yourselves. And look not only to your own interests, but also to theirs. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and how simple it can be sometimes. Not easy, Lord, but simple. So this morning we ask that we would be convicted in the ways that we've been selfish, that we worry more about ourselves than others. The ways in which we seek selfish ambition or, or conceit above humility, Father. We know that that's not possible in the flesh. It's only possible through your spirit. And so this morning we ask for your help. We ask for your guidance, and we ask for your strength to live a life that is worthy of your calling, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So our final song today is, is also a new one, uh, and it's just about uh, God's persisting goodness uh, that he demonstrates and shows to us. Um, so we invite you just to stay seated for the song, uh, but the lyrics will be on the screen, and so we invite you to just read along with those and, and really pay attention to what this song is saying. Even when it seems the answer's no The promises of God all find their yes In Christ who worked the Father's will below That all who run to Him
I asked for that last song because I, I just see how God's goodness is to us all the time. Uh, I used to work uh, in some inner city works, and you would hear leaders of the inner city saying, God is good. Everybody would say, all the time. God is good. All the time. God is good. Um, last week, we, uh, I preached on Philippians 1, uh, 21 and 22. We preached at the end of the passage, but in those two verses, uh, Paul kind of gave a purpose statement for just his life and ministry. He said, uh, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he says, now if I continue on in the flesh, my job is to be fruitful for you. And so what I see Paul saying is, you know what, to be rid of this world, to be in heaven, to be rid of all the sinful things that we have to deal with, that'd be an awesome thing. But for him, he felt like God was calling him to be right there to help out and to, to bring along the Philippians in their faith. And as I think about that passage, I feel like God has is, is just prepared my heart and Lee's heart and even the body's heart in terms of living that out. But I got to say, there's times that you're just tested in those things. And I think this is one of those times in our life where we're kind of tested. Okay, do I really mean to live as Christ and to die as gain? As you know, um, two weeks ago, Steve went and had repeat um, scanning and blood work. Um, the bone scan came back showing that the two areas on the pelvis had actually fused over. So that was good. And the large lymph node in the chest had, um, was a lot smaller due to the radiation and chemo. But his PSA has started to uh, rise again. And the lymph node in his pelvis is larger. So what that means is that the Lupron, the original treatment, is failing. His body's learned to kind of circumvent that. So they've put him on a second tier of medication, which is another hormone replacement. And uh, bottom line, the oncologist has given a prognosis of one to two years. So going in was not, that was not, as anyone would expect to hear. In March, everything looked great. Um, we are processing this daily before the Lord. Um, we are giving him, casting upon him, our anxious hearts, our pleas, our broken spirit, our desires. Because that's what he says to do. Um, we are looking at a second opinion coming up in a few weeks down at MD Anderson in Texas. We are hoping and praying that they would have a cutting edge treatment or trial um, that would change, that God could use to change that prognosis. Um, we are thankful for doctors. Doctors are wise. God's given them that skill and that ability, and we are so blessed and thankful for even our physicians here. But God is the great physician, and he's bigger, and that's where our hope is right now. We're choosing to believe in the best, but we're also planning for the worst. 
And so what that means for us is that it just means that we have to weigh out our priorities. And so Lee and I, as we've done a lot of soul searching and thinking through life, we've determined that our number one priority is our family. And in that, we have a breakdown of two, two categories. It's our biological family and you. You're our priority, our family is our priority. Um, we're, we're hoping that God will heal. We're still praying for that, but we are open to the idea that God is called to suffer sometimes. And so we will prepare for whatever transition God wants for us and we'll take that in stride. And I gotta tell you, as a pastor, it's been an incredible privilege for my whole ministry to be able to teach people how to live. This whole message was about how we live, how we live in humility. But I also understand that sometimes God gives a privilege to teach us how to die. And if that's what God wants of me, then I will gladly teach you that. I hope, by God's grace. Now, I don't mean to sound arrogant or, or for that to sound like it's, uh, I'm playing the part of a martyr, I'm not trying to do that at all. But I do want to amplify that eternity is a reward. Being with God is a reward. When I start thinking about heaven, I get really excited. Last week when I was given the marks of heaven, there was something inside of me like, oh, this, this might not be too far off from me. But of course, what makes it hard is, I don't, I don't want to leave my best friend. I don't want to leave my three kids, the, my daughter-in-law. I don't want to leave our two grandchildren. And I certainly don't want to leave you. Now, there's something inside of me that feels kind of like the Apostle Paul did when he was going back and forth last week, and he says, you know, I'm hard-pressed between the two, but I think I'm going to stay longer. There's something inside of me that says I'm going to be here longer than one to two years. I'm at least planning on it. But if God wants to take me, then he can take me. But we're going to do everything we can to press forward in our faith. And I have one request of you. Just one. And the request of you is this, that you would finish this race with me and then keep going on. Because this ministry, if it's built on Steve, then we're doomed to fail. But if it's built on Jesus Christ, then there will be other leaders that come down the line and they will lead us towards fulfilling the vision that we have, that every man, woman, and child within our community would see, they would hear, they would have an opportunity to, to respond to the gospel. That leader hopefully will continue on the mission that we are to make disciples. We're to make disciples by learning what an intimate relationship with God is all about, how we need each other in the body of Christ as we learn today, and how ultimately we have an influence in the world. And my question would be, are you with me? Are you with me? This is, this is our home church. 
we're not going anywhere until God, or I'm not going anywhere until God calls me home. I believe Leanne thinks the same thing. <laughs> and as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to preach, I'm going to teach, I'm going to serve in some capacity. Uh, and so th this is what we're going to do. There are going to be a few weeks that you'll not see us. If we're not here, it's usually because we're somewhere with our family. Um, I'm, we're, next weekend, we're going to go visit my son Josh and his wife and our granddaughter in Chicago. But when we come back, we were going to be excited about being with you. And so we want to encourage you that there's a lot to do. Last week, I said, I believe that our future years are better than what's behind us. Not that what's behind us is bad, it's foundational, but I believe our future years are going to be awesome. And I said that with all integrity because I believe it with all my heart. In September, the elders are going to lay out on our anniversary Sunday the vision of things that God is leading us to in the future, Lord willing. And we're excited about being able to share that. But I will tell you that this vision is going to rest on us, not me. It's going to rest on all of us. And every single person is going to be needed in carrying out that vision. But here's how you could pray for us. Three ways that you can pray. Number one is that God would just give us a wisdom and a peace regarding any additional treatment um, that would be out there for Steve. There's, there's a lot out there. Um, and just, just wisdom and peace in, in regards to that. Um, that he would also give our family um, a desire to draw closer to him, each of us individually, that he would just grow each of us leaps and bounds in our relationship with him. And that um, God would give the elders here at Mission View just uh, wisdom in hiring an associate pastor to come alongside Steve, um, to come alongside the staff as we go through this journey. Uh, on that last prayer request, we need to bring on an associate pastor. Um, and this is part of just being wise um, and making sure that the needs within the body are taken care of. And I will tell you, though, it'll, it'll stretch us a little bit. It'll stretch our budget a little bit. And so we would ask everybody to just evaluate how they would be willing to pitch in. I know Lee and I will be doing that ourselves. Because it's, not, it's about the mission. That's what we're pitching in towards. That's what we're contributing. And so we want that. We love you. We're thankful for this body. I'm thankful that we have an incredible support system. And in the day that God would take me home, I know that my wife, my daughter, my granddaughter, my son and his wife, because they're moving back from Chicago to Ohio and will be with us starting in the beginning of September, and my other granddaughter, I know you'll take care of them. I know we'll watch after each other because we have the same mind, the same spirit, the same love, because that's what we're unified if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness or vain conceit, but with humility consider others more important than yourselves. And I'll give you a preview to next week, having the same attitude Christ had. Lord Jesus, I thank you 
that we as a family can share good news, we can share hard news, but at the end of the day, we can still say God is good all the time. God is good. And so, Lord, we just pre we present ourselves to you, and we pray that somehow, some way, that you would be exalted through a group of people that all have sin, all have problems, all have things that we need to deal with in regards to you, and yet we're asking that you would take this group of people flawed in, in all of our flaws and that you would do something beautiful in our lives and in this ministry. We pray, Father, that there would be an impact in this community that would be far beyond what we could even explain. That it would not just be with Mission View, but it would be with other churches that are like-minded for the gospel. I pray, Father, that that kind of influence would happen externally. But I pray, Father, for internal transformation as well. That within the body, that we would make disciples. That we would be baptized when we realize that it is a command that we are to obey. That we would be a part of community groups so that we can get to know one another on a, on a greater basis and that we would be trained in you and know others. And so, Lord, help us to do the work that you've called us to do. And I just pray, Father, that you would guide and direct us. We love you and we thank you, Father, that we can lift our hearts to you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Lee and I are going to be in the commons. You can ask any question that you want. Uh, we hope that you'll join us there. We'll see you.